beginning at verse 31, and Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 7. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then the king will say to those his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick? Or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did to the one of the least of these, who are the members of my family, you did it to me. The second reading from Romans 14. We do not live to ourselves, we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord, for, his, for to this end Christ died and lived again, and that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. I think I know what the problem was. My battery was dying. I'm going to do something a little out of the ordinary here at St. George's. I'm going to preach from the pulpit instead of from down there. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts serve to draw us nearer and nearer to you, O God, our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Last week, <coughs> Reverend Ryan spoke about suffering, and if you weren't here, I would recommend you go online and have a read or have a listen or come in the office this week and have us print you off a copy because it is a beautiful and thoughtful and faithful exploration. This week he tasked me with speaking on the hot topic of assisted death. This is not an easy topic to do justice to in 20 minutes and I joked this week that perhaps I should have switched with him so that I could have tackled the easier subject of suffering. I will admit, though, it wasn't an easy sermon to prepare for or write 
and it isn't an easy one to share either. And I suspect, as we are all human and have faced the realities of death, some of us, so recently, I might touch on some tender points. And so if you need to talk <coughs> after, if you need to pray after, please let me know. Or find a kind, warm face to gather after worship to sit and talk with. This is a topic I have studied and wrestled with for many years, and I could likely speak well on a panel about it. I could probably give a really good lecture. I could even maybe teach a course on this. But that isn't what we do here. A sermon isn't about my opinion. Not exactly. These precious minutes that we carve out each week are about coming together in community to hear the words of scripture spoken and interpreted for this unique group of people gathered on this day and to give space for the Holy Spirit to move within and amongst us. And as we do this, the space we imagine between us and God shrinks and we become aware of the presence of God and that presence calls us to greater understanding and leads us and guides us into more faithful discipleship. And so all the things I think or know about assisted death, all of my opinions that I have tidily researched and debated that have truthfully become somewhat unraveled this past week. They don't matter. <coughs> Not really, because this isn't a lecture hall or a community panel. This is church. And we're here to listen for God's word for us, God's good news. Of course, I will talk about assisted death. But first, I want to share with you a personal experience that got me started on this path of learning. When I was 20 years old, I met Todd, the man who would later become my husband. We started dating when I was 21, and we soon fell in love. And I knew that this was my person. Even in the fickleness of my youth, I knew. Shortly thereafter, Todd's mom, Penny, was diagnosed with cancer. Not early stage, not just a spot. She had lung cancer that had already metastasized to her brain. And on further investigation, the cancer had also moved into her bones, was showing up on her skin. You get the picture. And I journeyed with Penny and Todd and Todd's sister Michelle and brother-in-law Barry and their then two children through it. We laugh cried as we shaved Penny's head and Todd's head together so that she wouldn't lose clumps of hair during the treatments. I made countless trips to takeout restaurants, bringing home Penny's favorite foods from the drive-through. We ate a lot of fish and chips during those months. We cleaned out her house. We sold it. We sold her car and we moved her into Todd's sister's house. <clears throat> we sat in the hospital for hours and hours and hours. 
My niece and nephew sat in rapt attention at the story she created as the tumor pressed deeper and deeper into her brain, releasing a vividness of imagination that no one had seen before. We walked with her and one another through each new decline in her health and wheeled her through the doors of hospice when her care required more than any of us could give. And we sat on her bed on what was to be her last day, listening to the gurgles of her breath as her lungs filled with fluid. The doctor offered and administered at the family's request a compassionate dose of narcotics that both eased her suffering and likely hurried her death. His intent, our intent, was not to end her life but to alleviate her suffering through good palliative pain management. And a consequence was a slight drawing closer of her last breath. This was just over 12 years ago, long before the medical assistance and dying legislation had made its way through the court systems in Canada, but was, as I have heard in many stories since then, not an uncommon practice in end-of-life care. <clears throat> now, I don't think I can talk about assisted dying without first addressing death itself. Our culture's response to death is, at best, confused. There are two main responses at play right now, obsession or concealment. Obsession is evident in the big-budget movies and video games filled with violence and death, making use of ever more technologically sophisticated means of killing and even more visually graphic depictions of bodies torn asunder. There is also the popularity of vampire and zombie movies and games, television shows, and maybe those aren't part of your everyday, but even the CBC News nightly tallies up the dead locally and lost in far-off wars. The other side of this coin is the way we press death to the edges of society. The dying only exist in institutions where they are tidally kept out of our line of sight, <clears throat> and death is spoken of only in euphemisms of loved ones having passed on with their bodies made up to look as though they are merely asleep. The truth is we are, and have always been, afraid of death. A rational response might suggest that we are to accept death as a natural part of the cycle of life. But that isn't quite it either, is it? because we are more than simply biological organisms. And truly, neither the psalmists nor Jesus understood death as a simple fact of life. Now, Christianity is, at its very heart, oriented towards life. This comes from our Jewish roots, a people who powerfully, throughout history, in the face of astonishing suffering at the hands of others, managed to manifest an intense and jubilant commitment to life. Who raised their glasses with the ancient words, l'chaim, to life. 
We as followers of that Jewish leader and reformer Jesus have been grafted onto, adopted into this community of faith and have carried on with this understanding of death as the last enemy. Which brings us to the cross. We cannot talk here about death without talking about the cross. Golgotha, Calvary, the place of Jesus' crucifixion is not a place of veneration, not a place where we learn to glorify death. It is a, <clears throat> it is a courageous facing of and confrontation with death, that is, with our enemy. Here God, in Jesus, confronts the great enemy and oppressor of life by facing, undergoing, entering into death so that it may be challenged, defeated. The cross does not camouflage the reality of death but calls the thing what it, calls the thing what it actually is. And that thing is not sleep or rest or the big garden in the sky. It is death, and death is real. Now, the great objection of the Bible is not death in and of itself, but rather, <clears throat> rather it is the power of death over life. Our own human anxious preoccupation with death that detracts from our capacity to enter fully and joyfully into life. We are, in a sense, in bondage to death because it remains repressed within us, but through Christ's confrontation of death, we are set free from the power, or as the Apostle Paul puts it, the sting of death. So then what about made? medical assistance in dying. There are two chief arguments by those who are in favor of it, autonomy and compassion. The autonomy piece argues that each individual is free to set their own life direction, free to dispose of themselves as they see fit, and society should, therefore, respect a competent person's wish to terminate their life, especially if that person is terminally ill and suffering greatly. So this raises the question, are we really autonomous beings? The appeal to compassion relies on a certain understanding of how we should respond to human suffering, that is, we eliminate it. But that assumes that suffering does not have some value within it. And who decides what is and is not suffering? Those on the other side of the aisle tend to speak of the preciousness and sanctity of life, that our being is but a gift not to be squandered. They also speak of the potential dangers of misuse of this kind of legislation with regards to people with severe disabilities and serious mental health challenges. As I'm sure you know, there are countless essays, articles, books, blogs, interviews, on both sides of this argument. And while I have read very many of them, I have likely only scratched the surface. Last year, the United Church of Canada adopted and released an official statement reading in part as follows. We are not opposed in principle to the legislation allowing assistance in dying 
and to such assistance being the informed free choice of terminally ill patients. There are occasions where unrelenting suffering and what we know about the effect of pain on the human body can make medical assistance in dying a preferable option. However, we urge a cautious approach and advocate community-focused and theologically robust discernment on a case-by-case -case basis that also ensures the protection and care of those potentially made vulnerable by this new law and others like it. The Anglican Church of Canada has also put forth much material on this, and a piece of it reads, Theologically, we continue to assert that human persons being in the image of God are the bearers of an inalienable dignity that calls us to treat each person not merely with respect but with love, care, and compassion. This calling, being a reflection of God's free grace, is in no way qualified by the circumstances that an individual may face, no matter how tragic. Neither is that inherent dignity diminished nor heightened by the decisions they make in those circumstances, even if they differ from the decisions we may make for ourselves. As I mentioned at the beginning, I hesitate to share my own views from this place. So I will instead turn to our scriptural words for the day. The connection to the gospel reading from Matthew is perhaps obvious. Our call as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, is to be with the sick, with the dying. Not to follow with the culture and the pressing of suffering to the edges of society, but to enter into that place alongside. One cannot tend to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the dying from afar. It requires our being present and in relationship. And there is this key that separates the work we do from the work of other service clubs, which is that when we sit alongside the dying, we are sitting beside Christ himself. And the fullness of our scriptural story tells us that when we come face to face with God as Moses, as Jacob, we are changed. And how could we not be? In entering into life with one who is sick and dying, we come face to face with our own humanity, our own mortality, face to face with that great enemy, our fear of death. You see, as we avoid the sick and dying, we give in to that great enemy, that power of death over life that keeps us from entering fully and joyfully into life. That fear keeps us from God. But in Romans, Paul reminds us we do not live to ourselves, we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. In life and death, we belong to God. Therefore, I suppose my ultimate point here is that it doesn't matter what I think about assisted death. And frankly, it doesn't matter what you think about it either. What matters is that we are called by God to confront the reality of our own mortality in the context of the cross, which tells us that death is not something to be feared or even necessarily to be controlled, 
because there is one who has ultimately overcome death and liberated us all from its bondage. What matters is that we are called to suffer with those who are dying, to be with them, and to allow the beauty of their death in whatever form it takes to reveal something about Christ to us so that we might be further transformed into his likeness. In, and in all of it, in every precious, beautiful, excruciating moment, we belong to God, no matter what. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Amen.